This morning's reading is taken from Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 20. The armour of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of the peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of, of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This is the word of the Lord. <coughs> Thank you, Colin. Whatever your uh, political persuasion, and whether you think, whatever you think of Mrs. May's plan, don't worry, this is not going to be a Brexit uh, talk. Whether you're a Remainer or a Lever, you must surely have some admiration for the stamina that she's, she has, and have a little bit of sympathy uh, for what she's going through. Even the Guardian had to admit to that the other day. <laughs> How does she keep going? She's attacked from all sides. When she stands up in the house, she's attacked from the benches behind her as well as those opposite. She's deserted by friends and colleagues, attacked in the press, and she's aware of all the scheming that's going on behind the scenes. How does she get through every day? Can we just feel a little bit of sympathy for her, whatever our political persuasion? I cannot imagine the internal struggles that she must be going through, despite that steely, calm exterior. She must be close to breaking point at times. I want you to imagine a scenario. It's a very unlikely one. You'll need to use your imagination. Uh, and I want you to imagine this, that right at the outset of the negotiations, in a private discussion with Michel Barnier, she received from him a handwritten letter. And the handwritten letter, which was handed over uh, personally to her with assurances, said simply, all will be well. All will be well with you. All will be well for your Brexit plans. 
and all will be well for your country. That's it. All will be well. And let's imagine, and this requires even more imagination, that she had every reason to trust what was being said. She absolutely implicitly trusted it. How would that have changed her life and her circumstances in the last six months? All the scheming, all the opposition, all the attacks would still have taken place. She would still have endured that. And all of the, the disappointment and the pain of losing friends and colleagues would still be real. And perhaps late at night she would have gone to where she put the, the letter in the drawer in her room and just looked at it and thought, I just need to remind myself that this is actually true. Did he really say that? And in some ways it would have changed everything, in some ways. As things stand, she has no idea uh, what this week holds. Absolutely no idea. And in my scenario, she would have had hope. She would have known that in the end, something's going to come right here. But the day-to-day -day reality of the relentless attacks would still be very real. And I suspect that even with that promise, it would be difficult to translate the conviction that all would be well into a peace and calm in her heart. That still would not be easy. Now, it seems to me that I think it is that tension that Paul is addressing right at the end of this amazing letter. The tension between the great promises of God and the present reality of suffering and evil. Yes, as Christians, we have the most amazing promises. And as we've gone through Ephesians, Paul has taken us to dizzy heights as he describes what Christ has done for us and for the blessings that we have in him. Janie unpacked last week uh, so well what Paul meant by being in Christ. Just remind you of what Paul says and what Janie reminded us of. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He adopted us as sons and daughters and sealed us with the Holy Spirit. And in chapter 2, the message puts it so beautifully when it says, God raised Christ from the dead and set him on a throne. In charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments. No name, no power exempt from his rule. And we are in him. As Janie said, what is true of him is true of us. It would take a lifetime to try to, to come to terms with that, to understand it. So we've had this entire panoramic view of the gospel of Jesus, and we have gazed in the last few months over that view and tried to take it in, and it has been amazing. But now we come to the end of his letter. Finally, he said, Paul, having said all that, 
the present reality is that we encounter evil day by day. We have this amazing hope. We have those amazing promises that He has given us in His Word. But we face the schemes day by day of the evil one. And it is not always clear what this evil one is even up to. Sometimes it can even masquerade as good. And there can be what Paul describes, the day of evil, when it can seem as though the evil is actually overwhelming us. Paul knows this from bitter experience. We don't know all the circumstances that led up that led to Paul writing what he said at the beginning of his second letter to Corinth. But we can only imagine it when we read what he said. Chapter 1. The load we had to carry was far too heavy for us. It got to the point where we gave up on life itself. Yes, deep inside ourselves, we received the death sentence. If a friend said that to you, you would be very concerned about them, wouldn't you? We gave up on life itself. Deep inside ourselves, we received the death sentence. When Paul speaks of the day of evil and when he speaks of the flaming arrows, he is speaking from personal experience, and it's quite recent experience. It's probably only a, a very few years. So how then do we prepare for such a day? When all is well in the world, when things are just ticking along pretty okay, isn't it very easy to drift into a way of thinking which really takes God out of the picture? We never deliberately decide it, but when things are going well, we just can so easily go into what we might call cruise control. So what do we do? Paul has chosen metaphors to remind us that we're in a battle. And a battle requires our full participation. It requires engagement. There's no room for passivity. But it's also really important, I think, to note that the metaphors are completely demilitarized. The soldier in the Roman army put on his armor that was supplied to fight and defend himself and his nation against flesh and blood soldiers. Paul says our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's very clear that he's, he's demilitarizing the metaphors that he's using. The enemy that we face schemes. People who scheme do so behind in secret, and their schemes only became, become apparent later. That, we're told, is how the evil one operates. That's the way he functions. And these six pieces of armor, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and word, 
are not items of armor that we simply take, put on when we need them and, take, and, and remove them again. That cannot be what he means. The pieces of armor Paul speaks of are to be embodied. They are to become part of who we are. Armor, it seems to me, is redefined in terms of who we are, not what we put on or what we do. As we've noted already, central to this letter to the church is the idea of being in Christ and what that means. And Janie reminded us so well of that last week. In Christ is our true identity. God has adopted us. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So if we read this as a letter, and I just want to try and just, you know, when these letters were written, they were written, they were, they were read out in the church, so you heard it as a letter. You didn't just take, kind of take a little chunk of it. it, was, it was, you, you sort of picked up the flow of, what, of his argument and what he was saying. So let's just try to, to imagine that, uh, bearing in mind what we've covered in the last few months. If we read this as a letter, we have this glorious picture in our minds of what Christ has done for us and what it means to be in Christ. Then we get to today's reading, right at the end of this letter, where he's reminding his, his listeners that we face this daily reality of scheming evil one. There will be dark days, Paul said, when the battle is so intense and the way that we will, should prepare for that battle, the way to be prepared is to internalize what it really means to be in Christ. I think that's the flow of his argument. We're already adopted as sons and daughters. We are already forgiven in Christ. We are accepted in Christ. We are chosen. But as we internalize that truth, the reality of what we're putting and the reality of it, as we internalize it and the reality of it, we are putting on the armor of God. The passage starts, after all, with, with, with the words, be strong in the Lord. He's not, he's not going off on some new tangent here. His theme of being in Christ is continued right to the end, including this passage. Be strong in the Lord. Put on the armor of God. This is not something new. This is internalizing what I've already told you. And this will enable us to stand. And this, uh, this kind of came to me in quite a new way as I was thinking about today. He uses this word four times, stand, stand firm, and having done all to stand. This is not onward Christian soldiers marching as to war, I don't think. Having done all to stand. The battle is the Lord's, and the battle is already won. The battle is His. But as we're enabled by the Spirit to internalize the reality of what it means to be in Christ, 
we stand firm in this place of blessing. Moving forward will be done by the Spirit. It's God's battle. We stand firm. That, to me, takes a lot of pressure off. The metaphor is not so much about... Sometimes I think that some of the metaphors we use about going forward and claiming ground for Christ and so on, I can, I can see where that's coming from, but I'm not sure that that's actually what Paul means here. Stand firm. You're already in this place of blessing. Just internalize that, and you will be equipped for the evil day. And of course, he goes on to remind us that it is the life of prayer in all its forms that will enable us to internalize that and enable us to stand. Interesting, isn't it, that Paul, the great apostle, recognizes his own vulnerability. Pray also for me. Paul, I can't, even Paul, I can't do this alone. I need you. Pray for me. We need each other. And when we can't find the energy of the words to pray for ourselves, we then have each other to pray for us. And, and we really need that. I have this image of a Roman soldier coming out of battle, having stood firm, having stood his ground. But have a look at him. He's, he's tired. He's exhausted. His armor has got a few dents and scorch marks from the flaming arrows, but he's still standing. Exhausted, but still standing. The attacks of the enemy are real. And that's why we're having a day of prayer tomorrow, isn't it? Paul says, keep on praying for all the Lord's people. But let's finish by reminding you what Paul said halfway through the letter when he finishes the whole section on the glories of being in Christ before he moves on to some of how that's worked out in the second half of the letter. He finishes the first half of the letter with like this, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church in the, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. As we pray for ourselves and for each other today and especially tomorrow, we bring our prayers to a God who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or even imagine. Isn't that amazing? Amen. Oh,